You know, it's interesting, every Sunday morning I have people that uh, maybe come in to worship and they, they feel like maybe they've won the lottery, you know, they're excited, they're, they're, they're upbeat, they're, they're wonderful. And there's other people in the congregation that may be grieving. Uh, maybe they've lost a friend, maybe they know something that's going on and it's just, it's just hard. And so on any given Sunday, you have both of those uh, in the congregation, And so, you know, when you think about that, I I want this sermon this morning just to be an encouragement to you, but I also want it to be a warning because I know that uh, it's easy for us to to get in the routine, if you will, to to get in the habit, uh, to to make life just routine. But I I want you to, I hope this jostles you awake. I hope it it helps you to see, uh, open your eyes to see what's going on all around us. Because many times we all wrestle with questions. We wrestle with questions that, that you know, the, the difficult ones like, why, uh, why do the wicked prosper? <laughs> why do the righteous suffer? I mean, these kind of things, it's like we see it all around us. And it's, it's especially hard when you've done right and you've done what you feel like you're supposed to do, but you get penalized. And then you see the guy who's not doing anything uh, right, he's doing it all wrong, but he's prospering. He's 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 flourishing, and you were praying and you were counting on God's promises, but things didn't turn out the way you expected. It seems like sometimes God didn't even hear your prayers. But you know, the person who's mocking God openly is doing great, or so it seems. You might even wonder, you know. Why follow God if all I get is trials? If it just means more tribulation, if it means more trials, if there is a God of justice in heaven, why doesn't he do something about all the injustice in the world? Is it worth it to follow the Lord? See, many of the Jewish people in Malachi's day were struggling with this problem. This is what they were thinking. They were under the thumb of the Medo-Persian Empire, which was godless, and yet it was prosperous. And many of the Jews had become disappointed with God, like maybe he doesn't care. He had not done for them what they had hoped, and they grumbled, if he is the God of justice, then why do we see all of this injustice in the world? And some of them even slipped into cynical agnosticism, You know, doubting that a just God even exists. And Malachi shows them, and he shows us, what to do when evil seems to be winning. See, when evil prevails, we must not challenge, but trust in and obey God, who sends his Messiah to judge the earth. Now, we come to the end, or the third, if you will, the the third division of the series that that we've been talking through here with with Malachi, having first looked back at where, uh, you know, they said, God, how have you loved us? And he says, well, look back, and then he says, look up to the present, and then look forward. And so this is part of that third part of looking forward, and I want to read in Malachi chapter 2, and I want to begin in verse 17, and I want to read down through verse 5 of chapter 3. 
And um, this is what the prophecy of Malachi says here, the word of the Lord through Malachi. He says, you have wearied the Lord with your words. I don't want to be that guy. You have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet you say, how have we wearied him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or where is the God of justice? Chapter 3. Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 2, but who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver so that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and, excuse me, and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Verse 5, then I will draw near to you for judgment. And I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against those who swear falsely and against those who oppress the wage earner in his wages, the widow and the orphan and those who turn aside the alien and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. We'll stop there. Loving Father, I thank you for your word. And Father, I pray that you would show us the truth of your word. You would show us the truth of where we are. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just be poured out in power. And Father, that our hearts would be transformed and forever changed by our time together today. Father, we love you. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You know, I love this passage because it is direct and it is very pointed, but it also brings a great uh, encouragement with it because the Lord's plans, (laughs) the Lord's plans for the future were yet again another expression of his everlasting love for his people. I mean, Malachi, he introduced this third call by, by rebuking Israel for their complaint against him in verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How, they ask? And the prophet responded by reminding them of how they questioned God's dealings with them. (laughs) Isn't it amazing how quickly we can forget how good God is? How good someone else maybe has been to us? We can forget it very quickly. Due to their mistreatment at the hands of the Persians and the, the delay in God's promise to them, you know, it, it's like they, they expressed doubt about God's love for them and they said he was pleased with evildoers and re, he rewarded them. Basically, they're saying, you know, the one who does evil, you're, you're rewarding them. Why are you doing this? Where is the God of justice? They were accusing God of acting unfairly. 
Isn't that the way we are in our society today when we don't feel like we've gotten the, the right turn? We don't, we don't feel like we've gotten what we deserved. We, we say, oh man, this is unfair. Well, that's what they were accusing God of being unfair. You see, you cannot accuse God of that until everything is said and done. And I think this is huge because they're asking the question, where is the God of justice? You know, a contemporary form of the question might be, why does God allow wars? Why does God allow famine? Why does he allow diseases, pandemics, even natural disasters? And the Lord's answer to these concerns is this. If you question my love for you, Look at my plans for the future. (laughs) Look at my plans for the future. I am coming to make some radical changes. And that's what he says here. He says, if you you doubt my love for you, look to my plans because I'm coming to make some radical changes. And I want to look at this and just break this down here. When you look at verse, uh, chapter three, verse one and following, it talks about the messenger. He says, I will send, behold, I am going to send my messenger. You know, in ancient times, when a king was going to go out and visit in the countryside, he would send a messenger out ahead of him, a forerunner, if you will, someone who would clear the path. Because in those days, they didn't have road crews. And so they didn't have someone who could fill the potholes and and move the the, the large stones out of the way. And so what they would do is they would send a forerunner out to make sure that everything was properly uh, uh, prepared for the the king. And they made sure they got ready for the the king to come. And, And Jesus quoted this passage. If you look in Matthew chapter 11, verse 10, he quotes this passage, what he says right here in reference to his forerunner, John the Baptist. He says John the Baptist is this messenger. And you see, as we look back on this passage, we already know this passage has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He has come. He has made radical changes. And what we see is, looking back on it, we say, he is saying that John the Baptist is this messenger that is going to go before him and prepare the way. I think this is huge because another messenger is also described. Read verse 1 carefully. It says, Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, will come suddenly, excuse me, will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So we have another messenger here that's described, a messenger of the covenant, a messenger of the covenant. Here is the only biblical use of this term, a messenger of the covenant. Many interpreters understand this as a reference to the Lord himself. Since the previous sentence speaks of the Lord coming to his temple, And originally, the Ark of the Covenant, you remember, was in the temple. It was kept in the temple. So the identity of the Lord coming to his temple is as a messenger of the covenant, the new covenant. We just celebrated the new covenant with the Lord's Supper. The new covenant, which is in my blood, 
You see, it's his blood that washes away all of our sin. Not the blood of goats, not the blood of animals, not the blood of lambs, but the blood of the Lamb of God. And you remember, John the Baptist was the one preparing the way. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, this was prophesied 400 years before Christ came. And he says, I am going to send my messenger. And then he says, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. So he's the messenger. We see the messenger. But notice also the purifier in, in, in chapter, chapter 3, verse 2. He says, who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. I mean, why is the Lord coming? Why is he coming? There's two figures of speech here that he uses that are very familiar, well known. The first is the refiner's fire. And this was used to remove the dross, the, the impurities out of the silver. And they would heat this silver up and, 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 and the, the dross would float to the, to the surface and they would skim it off until they could see a reflection of the refiner in the silver. That's the way it was used. And, and he is the refiner's fire. But understand, a refiner's fire is not like a forest fire. Okay, a forest fire indiscriminately burns and, 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 and destruction happens. But it's not also like a, a, the fire of an incinerator because everything is completely consumed in the incinerator fire. But you see, a refiner's fire, well, it refines. It refines. It's just hot enough. It's just hot enough so that that impurities can be taken off. It purifies, it melts down the bar of silver or gold and, and separates out the impurities that ruin its value and, and, and it leaves the silver and gold intact. But it says he is like a refiner's fire. <laughs> it does say fire. And because of that, purity and holiness will always be a dreadful thing. Understand, there will always be a proper fear and trembling in the process of becoming pure. I mean, we learn it from the time we're little kids. Don't play with fire. Don't play with matches. Don't play with fire because it's dangerous. It's trembling. It, it, it's filled with fear. And, and, and understand that Christianity is not a plaything. The passion for purity is never flippant. And he is like fire and he is serious. So don't fool around with it. Don't play around with it. It's not merely a word of warning, but it's also a word of tremendous hope. Think about it this way. The furnace, the furnace of affliction in the family of God is always, always, always for refinement, never for destruction. Notice also the second one, the fuller's soap. This is the laundryman's soap. <laughs> The soap that makes things very clean. It makes your whites extremely white. 
It makes all of your colored garments very clean. And the fuller soap was mentioned because it washes garments. And, and Malachi declared that the Lord was coming to purify the priests, the house of Levi, but also to cleanse them from their sin. I think this is big stuff. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Right? I mean, he's coming to refine, and he's coming to get rid of the impurities, to make pure, but he's also coming to wash away the sin. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what he's saying here through Malachi. His purpose for this was to make their worship acceptable. Because in chapters one and two, unacceptable worship was a dominant theme, and he comes as a messenger. He comes as a purifier, but he also comes as the judge. This isn't, this isn't fun, folks. He comes as our judge. Only here, in verse five, he says, then I will draw near to you for judgment. This is the only place in Malachi the word judgment is used. But all through Malachi, you hear tones of judgment. See, these people, the Jews, they wanted God to judge Israel's pagan neighbors. They wanted them to judge them, and they, they, but they refused to judge their, their own sin. It's like, Father, we want you to judge all of those people out there who are living as sinners, but I don't want to look inside and see what's in here. And herein lies our problem today. We want God to judge all of those other people, but we're not willing to let him judge our own self, our own hearts. See, the Lord declared that he would testify against And I think it says swiftly there, I will draw near to you for judgment and I will be a swift witness against all who practice sorcery, you know, any kind of occult practices, adultery, those who are unfaithful in their marriage vows, those who swear falsely, which covers everything from bending the truth in a personal relationship to perjury in the court of law. He says, stealing wages from laborers, oppression of widows and orphans, and mistreatment of foreigners or aliens, referring to the wealthy and powerful folks who take advantage of those who are weaker than themselves. See, he concludes this warning by revealing that the root of such sins are an absence of the fear of the Lord God Almighty. You know, you might, you might say he's calling them out in contempt of court. It would be like someone not fearing that the judge had the power to put them away. And they were, they were, they were uh, in contempt of that. So where is the God of justice? And this is what Malachi says. Malachi says he's coming. Where is the God of justice? He's coming. He's coming. See, most of this prophecy was fulfilled in the first coming of Jesus. When he came as a baby there in Bethlehem, 
Most of the prophecy of this, of this was fulfilled in that first coming, and Malachi's prophecy has a double fulfillment, as many prophecies do. I mean, John the Baptist was the messenger who came in the spirit and the power of Elijah to prepare the way for the Lord in his first coming. And Jesus came to the temple, you remember. He came to the temple in Jerusalem, and he began purifying the practice of worship by driving out the merchants. Do you remember that? He began purifying the temple. This is my father's house. It's not going to be a den of thieves. See, his teaching called for repentance of every sin that's mentioned in, the, in this passage in Malachi. But then by his death, by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, by his burial and by his resurrection, he went on to provide true cleansing for our sin. What an amazing thing. See, after all this was done, because of his love for you and for all people of every nation, of every tribe, when Jesus came the first time, he answered the question, where is God when we need him? He came as Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. Now, before his second coming, According to Revelation 11, there will be two witnesses who powerfully bear witness. And it's likely that one of these witnesses will be Elijah. (laughs) Listen, God in his grace does not come to us unannounced. God in his grace does not come to us unannounced. If he did, he would find that our lives are in shambles. He would find that we are, are, get so sloppy with our sin. There are potholes and ruts and rocks scattered all over the place. And so he graciously sends his messengers to proclaim the Lord is coming. Get ready. Fill in the potholes of sin. Clear out the rocks of self-centeredness and pride. And repent and bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. And although I am far, far lesser voice than Elijah or John the Baptist, understand that I hope that you will listen when I say get ready. Get ready. Prepare yourself because the king is coming. He will return. But it's by his grace that he returns And he does not return unannounced. As John, 1 John 3, 3 says, everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. See, you may wonder, in your own mind, you may be thinking something like, well, how can the Lord's coming be sudden if it's announced by his messenger. It reminds me, some of you are old enough to remember what happened with Mount St. Helens in 1980. I was living about 100 miles from Mount St. Helens when it exploded. 100 miles from Temple is San Marcos. If you want to go north, it's Granbury. It's about 100 miles. We were living in the Northwest at that time. I was a junior in high school. 
1980. I remember it. You know, geologists knew that something was brewing. They knew that this, this area of the mountain, this, this bulge on the side of the mountain was swelling. They knew that something was going on underneath because there was tremors. They, 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 were, they were tracking all of that and they knew that it was going to blow one day. And they were warning people that, that who lived there to get out. But did they leave? Some of them did. But some of them didn't. There was one old man, his name was Harry Truman. Wasn't the president, okay? It's a different Harry Truman. He, was, he lived there for decades, and when the newscasters interviewed him, and he said that the mountain had been there for centuries, and he said, you know, I don't believe that it's going to blow, and, and, and so he wasn't going to move. But suddenly, one morning, the mountain blew. It exploded. And Harry Truman and others like him that had ignored the warnings perished. They died. And destruction came upon them very quickly and very suddenly. So you're hearing me now say, the Lord is coming back quickly to judge the earth, to judge the people of the earth. And no one who ignores this warning will escape. And you may be saying, yeah, sure. Preachers have been saying that for 2,000 years, over 2,000 years. And you know, when I get up from here, I'm going to go home and I'm going to have lunch. And this day is going to be just like every other day. But the problem is, is you don't know that. You don't know if you're going to take your next breath in the morning or this evening. You don't know if you're going to live to see next week, much, ne- much less next year. The day of the Lord will come upon them. The glory, the Lord of glory always comes as a thief in the night to those who sleep in their sins. And see, he continues today as messenger, as purifier, as judge. So I ask the question as I wrap this up, how then should we live in this evil world? And I have three brief words of encouragement for you. Trust God. Trust in God by guarding your attitude when you're going through trials. Trust him. Sometimes we see things happening and and, and we recognize that, man, this stinks. I don't like what's happening to me right now. But recognize that God is still in control. Trust him in that. And the things that he is removing from your life are things that you don't need in your life. Trust him. Because he's, he's taking out the impurities. He's taking out the things that you no longer need. Trust him in that. I mean, if you find yourself doubting whether God loves you, whether he's really going to punish you, Get alone with him in his presence. Read Psalm 73. Meditate on that. Psalm 73. The author there is struggling with the same issue until he went into the sanctuary of God. Till he went, we are the temple. Until he got with God alone. And this is what he says in verse 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God 
is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Read Hebrews 12, which assures us that God's discipline stems from his love for us as his children. His aim is that we might share his holiness and enjoy the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Trust him. Secondly, I would say this. Obey God. Obey God by holding up his absolute moral standards. I mean, the people of Malachi's day, they were saying this. They were saying, everyone does evil. Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. In other words, morals don't matter. Because God doesn't immediately zap the wicked. In fact, they seem to prosper. Folks, if you read one verse further, verse 6, it says, For I, the Lord, do not change. For I, the Lord, do not change. We live in a day when even the church is joining culture in abandoning God's moral absolutes. Even the church is saying, you know what, God, they're still prospering, maybe, maybe there's nothing to that. But I'm telling you today as a messenger from the Lord that there is something to that. And we need to stick to his word. If his word calls something sin, then it's sin. It is still sin. It will always be sin. See, God is not affected by the trends that are going on in America. He's not affected by that. He doesn't change like the winds change. He says there, I, the Lord, do not change. So what he said then still goes today. We need to understand that. When someone breaks God's moral standards and they seem to be doing just fine, understand what Galatians 6 says. It says, do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. For whatever we sow, that we will also reap. So trust God, obey God by holding his moral absolutes and then obey him by developing compassion for those who need his grace. I mean, these people, they wanted God to zap the prosperous, wicked pagans. But Malachi competently showed them that by pointing the finger at these other people, there was three other fingers pointing right back at them. See, we need to remember that. We need to remember that. The fact of the matter is this. We all deserve God's punishment. We all deserve that. We all deserve God's righteous punishment. If he has shown us mercy, it is the epitome of self-centeredness for us to say, well, now that I'm saved, God, I want you to judge all these other people because we've just been saved. It's as if I've been on a shipwreck and I'm out in the water drowning with many others and God comes along with his lifeboat and he pulls me into the boat. And once I'm in the boat... I say, well, let's head for the shore. I'm kind of cold and chilly. Let's get out of these waves. I want to put some dry clothes on now. And he's saying, we're not done here. There's many others that need to experience the same grace that we have experienced. Second Peter, I'll end with this. Second Peter 3, 9 says, the Lord is not slow about his promise. 
as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. If it seems like it's a long time for Jesus to return, maybe he's waiting for you. Maybe he is waiting for you to respond to his grace. Because we don't know how much time we have. That's the commodity. It's usually not about money. It's usually not about a lot of other things. It's about how much time we have. And that's what's unknown. See, I would ask God to give you his heart of compassion for others. Ask God to, to speak to you, to draw you. Ask God to, to, to come to you and to, to show you so that you can come to repentance. I don't want anyone to miss the lifeboat. Don't miss it. When evil prevails, trust God, obey his word, and in his time, he's going to send his son to return. And folks, what a glorious day that's gonna be for those of us who know him. But what a horrible day it will be for those who don't because he will be coming as the judge. If he spoke all of this world into being, he can kill it with one word from his mouth. We don't know who we're messing with when we snub God. He's the almighty. There's nothing that compares to him and his power. Nothing. But what we have the opportunity to do is to bow before him and recognize him as the Lord of the universe. Because one day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Loving Father, I thank you for this time and I thank you for your word. Father, I know that it seems like sometimes justice is delayed but Father, we know, we know that you are a God of your promises, that you keep your promises. And Father, we see even in this prophecy that the Lord of hosts is coming and he's going to come to his temple and he's going to purify the, the priests and he's going to cleanse them. And Father, you have done that through Jesus Christ when he came the first time. But Father, what, is, what a holy and, and horrific thing it will be when you come again. Father, it'll be the joy, the best day of our life when you come for those of us who know you. Father, Father, but for those of us who don't, it's gonna be a horrific day. So I pray that today, Father, that each and every one of us would make sure of our salvation. Father, that we would recognize that you are the one who calls us out. You are the one who sent your son. Father, you are the one who gave your son's lifeblood for each one of us that we might be reconciled to you. And Father, that because of that, we have a home in eternity for all time with you. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would have his way in our hearts. Father, you said you would send your messenger and you did. Father, every promise that you have made is true. 
So I ask, Father, that you would help us just to commit our lives to you. Father, just to humbly bow before you and confess Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. Father, I pray that a great repentance would fall upon the believers in this church and all across this nation. Father, I pray that your spirit would be poured out. Father, your word says that's what's going to happen in the last days. And Father, we know that we are in these last days. But I pray, Father, that the urgency of the hour would shake our very being, would shake our hearts, would stir us up. Father, help us as we seek to do your will. Father, if there's someone here that doesn't know you, I pray that today would be their day of salvation. Father, I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.